Hello, and thank you for listening to today's broadcast from Stony Point Baptist Church with Pastor Jim England. Today's message is a continuation in the series, Jesus' Ministry in the Gospel of Luke. And now, here's Brother Jim. Very good. I'm going to ask you to take your Bibles. Let's look together in Luke chapter 15. We've been studying in the Gospel of Luke, and Jesus shared three parables. So we've looked at the lost sheep, the lost coin. Today we're looking at the lost son. Somebody might say, you know, it's a shame that you're kind of a week ahead of yourself because this would be a good Father's Day passage of Scripture, and, and actually we won't finish today. So we'll, we'll pick back up again for Father's Day just so that you can, uh, can know. But we're going to pick up today Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, and we're going to pick up verse 11. So if you want to turn Luke 15 verse 11. Then he said, Jesus, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And then verse 20 says, And he arose and he came to his father. And that's, uh, that's where I want to leave it today. We'll pick back up there next week, okay? So let's have prayer together. Lord, will you bless today and help us to be filled with your spirit. And Lord, I just ask that today, that you would just be able to work in each of our hearts and lives. May we sense your presence, and may we know that, Lord, that you're drawing us to a, a better relationship with you. And Lord, I just ask that you can, there's many that's here today that's uh, concerned about loved ones, maybe that have gone astray, and I just ask that you can give them some comfort today. And so, Lord, may you, you know each of our hearts and lives, and may you just work. And we ask your will to be done in each person's life. And we give you thanks now in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, some people have called this the greatest short story that's ever been written. Some would argue, if it's not here, then it's the Good Samaritan, which it kind of makes sense if the Son of God is speaking. It sure would have to be a great story. He, he knew how to share a story that could be able to touch our lives. Now, let me point out a couple of things before we really get started. I remember when I was 19. I was 19, I was teaching Sunday school, nursing home in Glasgow. I did that every Sunday morning real early. And then I'd go to church, and uh, if I was preaching, then I would preach, uh, I'd teach my Sunday school lesson, it would be my sermon for that day. So I remember this one particular Sunday, I was going to share from the prodigal son, about the prodigal son. And the outline, my outline was, it just dealt with the prodigal, prodigal son, kind of like today. And I remember when I finished, this one elderly lady said, you can't do that. 
I was like, what? She said, you can't leave it like that. You got to talk about the other son. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm out of time. <laughs> uh, but she said, and understand what she's saying. You don't get the full story. You don't get the gist of the story. We don't talk about the other son. But the good thing is, although I don't have time today, you come back next week and we'll get a chance to talk about the other son. Here's a second thing I want to point out. And that is that when you talk about the prodigal son, part of the reason it, it really has touched people's lives is it hits people at home. Their people can relate because they have people in their family that are what they might call a prodigal. And so it, uh, it really touches families and parents. And so let me just add this real quick to encourage you today. You know, if you've got a prodigal, there's a couple of things just to keep in mind. One of them is a great proverb, okay? A great proverb. Proverbs 22.6. You know it. Train up a child in a way that he should go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, let me just say this about this verse, okay? It is extremely encouraging. It's a proverb. It's not a promise, and there's a difference, <laughs> What's the difference? Well, a promise is something that is, you can count on is always true. Now, sometimes there's conditional promises that are giving, and it's only true if it meets the condition. This is a proverb. A proverb is not a promise. It is something that is generally true. So when you're speaking a proverb, it means you've looked out and you've, you've noticed life, and this is generally true but it's not always true. So you need to be able to make that distinction, but it is encouraging to be able to know, generally, this is true. So a proverb, it is encouraging. Proverbs 22.6. And then here's a second thing, prayer. Prayer. If you've got a prodigal, don't ever give up. Prayer matters. Prayer counts. And be persistent. The Bible just lets us know that the prayer of a righteous person availeth much. And so you just keep praying and keep seeking God. So be consistent, be persistent and consistent in your daily walk and training and then secondly, in your prayer life. And let me add one more thing to that when I'm speaking about prayer. You know, uh, George Mueller, when you speak about prayer, George Mueller was what a prayer warrior he was. It said that George Mueller one time said, you know, I had five friends, five that were really close to me that were, didn't know Christ. And he said, and so I committed myself to pray for them every day. He said, after 18 months, the first one became a Christian. He said, after five years, the second one became a Christian. After six years, the third one became a Christian. Later he would write, after 36 years, he'd say, I'm still praying for these other two. 52 years went by. George Mueller died. He never did see those other two become Christians, but they did. After his life was over, those two fellows became Christians. Prayers were answered. So what I'm trying to encourage you is, prayer. So be consistent, be persistent in your prayers and in the Proverbs. Just take hope from there. All right, let's look back at this story. 
Jesus begins to tell this story, touches this right away. He says, there's a man, he got two sons. The youngest one comes to him, and he said, I want my inheritance right now. Now, that's very unusual. Was that very unusual then? It's very unusual now. Because if somebody comes, when you get your inheritance, you usually get it because death has taken place. Not beforehand. But deaths happen, and so therefore the heirs receive their inheritance. Now, in biblical times, the law would say the oldest would get more than the others. And so in this case, if there's two, the oldest would get two-thirds, the youngest a third. So the youngest has come and say, I want my inheritance. I want a third of this state now. Now, sometimes it could happen that the, uh, the father may be in bad health, or maybe he's just come time where he can't do the work now, and so he just says, you know, I'm going to go ahead and divide the inheritance. Now, that could happen, but that's not what the case is here. Now, this young man just comes up and he says, you know, I'm, I'm through, and I want my inheritance now. You know what he's basically saying? I'm writing you off. I'm done with the family, and so I want what's mine now. And then we see, it takes a few days to be able to get this settled. But when he gets his money, he goes to the far country. So basically, what, we're, what he's saying is, I'm getting as far away from dad as I can. I don't like your rules. I don't like the way that you conduct yourself. And I am getting away. Here's what he's saying. I want my freedom. I want my freedom. See, some people, that's how they feel with God. When they look at God, they see commandments. They see restrictions. And they just say, you know, God, you're holding me back. And really, I just want freedom. I don't want somebody telling me this is what I've got to do. I don't want these laws. I don't want commands. I don't want restrictions placed upon me. I just feel like that you're, I'm missing out. And let me just tell you. You remember back in Genesis 3, Satan comes up to Eve. Did God really say, and tries to get her to doubt God's goodness. And then he says, you know, actually what God is wanting you to do, he knows if you partake of this fruit, you'll become like him. He's holding you back. God is causing you to miss out. And that's how people, many people feel today. God's not, He doesn't really love me. He wants me to miss out. That's how this young man was. He said, I want my freedom. I don't only want my freedom. I just want to be happy. If I desire something, I don't want somebody to tell me you can't have it. I want it. And see, people today think, I live in America. I should be able to get whatever I want with no restrictions. I just want to be happy. And if you indulge your flesh, wouldn't you be happy? That's what people think. I want to be happy. You see, I want to be able to set my own moral standards. That's what he's saying. I want my own moral standards. Later on, I think it's in verse 30. We didn't read that far down. That he talks about how he had been with harlots. He didn't say it. His brother had heard that. And so, people, that's how... I just want to set my own morals. Let me just deviate to here real quick and, and just share with you. Young people, if you want to be able to have morals, let me give you a couple of scriptures that can give you guidelines and help you to be able to set your standards. 
So here's a couple of verses that you should know. Everybody should know. First, Thess- First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. Okay, you should know this. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. You want to be able to have some moral parameters. All right, here, here's one that helps set this. All right, ready? Here's what it says. It's for, for this is the will of God. Okay. So what he's getting ready to tell us, this is God's will. Okay, that, that helps out. Because sometimes we say, like, I wonder what God's will is for my life. Well, here, here's something that is God's will. Are you ready? It's your sanctification. That means this. You're a Christian. You need to be different. You're set apart. And then he adds this. That you should abstain from sexual immorality. By the way, the word sexual immorality here, it means fornication. It means adultery. It means anything that's outside of marriage. Now, let me just set a standard what the Bible talks about as marriage. The Bible tells us that marriage is a covenant relationship. It's entered into one man, one woman with God. That's marriage. Now, here's the second verse, okay? First one, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. Here's the second one, Hebrews 13, 4. This helps to set your parameters, I hope, for morals. Here's what he says. Marriage is honorable among all. Marriage should be honored by every single person and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. You know what he's saying? God's not against sexuality. He created it. But he, sa- he says it works within marriage. That's where it should be at. And so he said marriage should be honored by every single person. And so we should uphold it, encourage it. And so listen, if somebody says, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to miss out. God knows best. Marriage should be honored by all. Now, let me just get back. Here, the prodigal needs to understand something that he didn't understand. And this is what we and I can understand. Satan is at work. He's at work. James 1. Here's another verse. James 1, verse 13 and 14. I want to be able to share these with you because these are something that Satan... This is this basically how he works. Listen to this. Some people think, you know, Brother Jim, my problem is, is that God has led me this way. But I want you to listen to this. James 1, verse 13, it says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Do you understand that? God's not evil. Never will he ever be evil. God can't be tempted to be evil. God is always good. You can count on that. He never changes. His standards are the same. He's good. He's not evil. That will not happen. So you don't have to worry about that. So God's not tempted by evil, nor He Himself tempt anyone. So God doesn't tempt you to do sin. So if you're going and you feel like God's leading you, it's not God. He doesn't lead somebody to commit sin. He doesn't lead you in that direction. Well, I just feel this way. Well, that's not God. He set his standards. But look what he does say. Verse 14. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away. Let me just say something about that word drawn away. This is in James. 
That word drawn away is actually a hunter's term. And so it has the idea with it. A hunter is setting a trap for an animal to be able to catch that animal. He's drawing that animal away, bringing that animal to where it's going to fall into a trap. And so here he says each one of us is, is tempted when we're drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Now this word enticed is a fisherman's term. And so it has the idea of when you bait a hook, put a worm or something else on it that's going to cause that worm or the fish to say, I want that. But in each case, it's a trap. Now that leads me back to what I want to share with you. Satan has baited the trap. He makes sure that it's tempting. This young man was tempted. He said, boy, this looks good. I want my freedom and I'm going to be able to go and spend my money and do what I want. Have no responsibility. It's also tempting. That's the way Satan works. But listen, the bait is also very blinding. Temptation is blinding. I want you to consider this. Do you think that David, King David, would have ever committed a sin with Bathsheba if he'd have realized the consequences? If he'd have realized, I'm going to end up having a man that's a good man killed. We're going to conceive a baby. That baby's going to die. I'm going to have a daughter that's going to be raped by her brother because he thinks, because I got away with something, he could. I'm going to have another son that's going to take revenge and kill his brother. Or that same son's going to read a rebellion against me because he has no respect for me. And that's just some of the issues. Do you think that David, that David would go along and do all those things if he could have seen those consequences? No. But here's the problem. We're blinded. And all we see is the here and now. This young man couldn't see the future. He only sees the here and now. The bait is blinding. I'll tell you something else. It's very enslaving. Sin is enslaving. Jesus made that clear in John chapter 8. If you sin, you become a slave to sin. You can't stop. You can't stop sinning. There used to be a song, the cathedral song. Here's what it said. It says, as a child, I so foolishly turned God away, not knowing the heartache a sinner must face. But God in His goodness has let me return to share with His children this lesson that I've learned, that sin will take you farther than you want to go. Slowly but wholly taking control. Sin will leave you longer than you want to stay. And sin will cost you far more than you want to pay. It's like a merry-go-round that you can't get off of. It just don't stop. And you want it to stop. You're enslaved. Now, notice what it says in verse 14 about this young man. It said, but when he spent all, he spent everything that he had. I don't know how much money he ended up having. But you know, you can spend a lot of money in a short period of time. You know what they say? A third of people that win a lottery will go bankrupt. What? That's what they say. A third. There's a lot of people that would inherit a great deal of money. They'll go bankrupt. Why is that? Because you can spend a whole lot of money real quick. Undisciplined. See, a lot of times they don't consider taxes. Sometimes they don't consider everybody's with their hand out. And then they just spend frivolously. They just buy stuff they don't really need. They just spend. 
This young man was having a good time throwing parties. This young man was having a good time entertaining his friends, doing, getting anything that he so desired. And then one day he reached in for some money and it's gone. There's no more money. And you know what happened? There was no more friends. No more friends. You see, the Bible then tells us that famine came. When famine comes, you'll see who your friends are. When the difficulties are there, will your friends still be there? The friends weren't there. They weren't there for the party. They were there until the money ran out. Then the friends were gone. This young man woke up. He had no place to stay, no home, and no food. And now, all of a sudden, he's like, now what am I going to do? I'll tell you how bad it got. He goes and gets a job. And guess what his job is? Feeding pigs. Now, this tells us that he's no longer in Israel. He's gone to a Gentile nation because they wouldn't be pigs in Israel. And he's a Jew. A pig is an unclean animal. They want nothing to do with, with unclean animals. They wouldn't eat them. And so here he is feeding pigs. And he is so hungry. Now you just think about this. Pigs. They play in the mud. They're all the time rooting and snorting on the ground. They're dirty. He looks at what they're eating. And he says, you know, I'd like to have some of that. That's how hungry he is. That's how bad it's got. Then verse 17 tells us. This young man finally comes to his senses. He stops and he begins to think. You see, he's having a change of attitude. You know what all of a sudden he says? You know, Dad's a lot smarter than what I thought. Dad has a lot of people work for him. He treats them pretty good. Every one of them eat. Every one of them have plenty. They're clothed well. You know, my dad actually treats them with respect. You know, it could have been back when he was young, went back when he was at home, he didn't treat them with respect. He didn't have any respect for others around him. But all of a sudden, he's like, you know, I, my, I, my attitude's changed. It's a lot different when you're in, having to serve, when you're having to work. I sure miss Dad. And then he kind of changes his mind. You know what he says to himself? He comes to his senses. He said, you know, I think I would like to go back home. And I'll just tell Dad... I've sinned. I don't deserve to be called your son. I'll just be a servant. Just make me a servant. I'll just settle for being a servant. You see, he's changed his mind. Verse 20 then tells us, not only did he change his mind, but then he actually got up and he headed home. Now you know what that is? You know what we see here basically on display for us? That is what repentance is. We talk to people, if you want to come to Christ, you need to repent. You know, what is repentance? Repentance is just this, having a change of attitude. It's having a change of mind, and it's having a change of direction of where you're going. This young man said, I've had enough of this. I'm changing. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, notice that this young man didn't say, hey, I'm leaving the pig pen. But I'm going to take with me. I'm going to go get those harlots and bring them with me. I'm going to go get the alcohol and I'm going to bring it with me. I want the drunks to come with me. He didn't do that. 
He said, I've had enough of all of this. I'm leaving the pig pen. I'm leaving this lifestyle. I'm leaving all of the drunkards. I'm changing. I'm going to the Father. That's repentance. To be a prodigal, you know what that means. The word prodigal means reckless, undisciplined, wild. He said, I'm leaving all of that. Now, you may not be what you consider a prodigal. But maybe you're involved in some stuff you shouldn't be in. And repentance means I'm leaving. I'm turning from that. And true repentance means I'm not just turning to that. I'm turning towards something. And the something I'm turning to is God. It's Jesus Christ. And if you want to be really changed, it needs to start on the inside. And you need to place your faith in the only one that can help to change you and transform you on the inside. And that's Christ. And so when you're born again, the Holy Spirit will do just that. He will transform you. And so this young man comes to himself. Let me ask you something. What's it going to take to get you to come to yourself? What's going to have to happen? You see, this young man had to hit bottom. He had to be in the pig pen. But maybe you don't have to go that far down. Maybe you can stop and the Lord is working with you now and helping you to come to yourself, to open your eyes, to see where you're going, to see the destruction that's ahead. Today's an opportunity to be able to come and be able to get that changed, to come to Christ, to come to God, just like the prodigal, to be able to come and change your life. You know, there may be somebody here, parent, grandparent, and you're concerned about a prodigal. Maybe there's some things that other people don't know, but you know. And you just want to come and just be able to have a time of prayer. Don't ever give up. You're talking to the God that can go places that you can't. That can do things that you can't do. Let's take a moment. Let's have prayer together. Lord, thank you for letting us come today. We thank you for your word. It's power. And Lord, I just ask that today, that you would just allow what's been said to really pierce our hearts. And Lord, I ask that you would make this time sacred and holy. And Lord, that you would help each of us to seek after you. Lord, help us to be able to learn from this prodigal. Help us to realize when temptations come. Help us to realize their consequences. Help us, Lord, to be able to set moral standards. Help us, Lord, to be able to understand you love us. That your commandments, they're not meant to harm us, to hinder us, to cause us to miss out. They're meant to help us to be able to live a life that's pleasing to you. And to live a life, Lord, that's protected and in the long run that's going to be able to rejoice and have the best life. Help us, Lord, and trust you. I pray that you would just bless each one that's here and you could have a freedom to move this morning. And we ask in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to Pastor Jim England. If you missed a sermon or would like to re-listen to a message, you can find Brother Jim on Spotify, Google, and Apple under Stony Point Podcast with Jim England. God bless you.